Hey there, Comply Podcast listeners. Today's podcast is part two of a discussion had between Rhonda McGill, Senior Director of Client Solutions here at Performline, and Tony Alexis, partner at Goodwin Law and former Assistant Director and Head of the Office of Enforcement at the CFPB, where he developed and managed the CFPB's enforcement strategy, consumer financial investigations, and litigation. Before you listen to today's podcast, make sure you go back and listen to part one of the conversation in our previous podcast. But on today's show, Rhonda and Tony continue that discussion of UDAP compliance under CFPB Director Chopra, specifically talking about the CFPB's updated procedural rules that provide them with the authority to carry out enforcement actions in-house, expectations on the state's enforcement of UDAP, and the role of a strong compliance management system in UDAP compliance. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Do you feel based on, you know, just this discussion around that, um, the examination guide, do you feel that there's anything in there that's noteworthy? It sounds like there's the more of the same, but a lot more of it. And then there's the, you know, additional amendments. So I I would say, as I understand, I I have an examiner that works in my office and uh, he and I should chat from time to time about the manual. And one of the things that he brought to my attention that I didn't realize was that, you know, cybersecurity had moved into a a certain uh, section of the manual in a way that clearly made it uh, clear to the institutions that it is a a risk priority. Uh, For the most part, even though it grows and it shrinks, my sense is the exam manual is incredibly good authority uh, and a good way to prepare for your exams, to prepare for your compliance programs, uh, and to just be prepared for what your risks are. Um, I, I, I clearly, and, and frankly, even I find myself uh, while helping with, with clients, paging through the exam manual to look for definitions that I think that people would be comfortable with for particular products, services, or, uh, you know, the rules themselves or the laws themselves. So it sounds like basically this is a good time to really look at the compliance program itself and just to do some adjustments and kind of parallel your policies and procedures in alignment with what could potentially be coming your way with an examination. Yeah, look, you know, I've heard some institutions have kind of laid off on compliance or, or, or thought themselves to be in a in an environment in which compliance was not going to necessarily be a driver of the business mm-hmm. and, and are somewhat behind the eight ball as they try to play catch up. But yes, I think the compliance manual uh, is a good place to start. And I also think that compliance is very, very important to any particular financial service team uh, and really needs to be refreshed. Uh, and the actual activities need to be monitored. Yeah, I um, had one client, I think they actually asked the question about, the, well, they said they ran a pretty tight ship and they thought that they were pretty conservative as it applies to UDAP. So I think a lot of folks are now kind of reevaluating and saying, are we as conservative as we thought we were? Or you know, So what pitfalls are out there? <laughs> because there right. are potential pitfalls. Right. Uh, well, I, 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 for, for lack of a better phrase, nomenclature is, uh, and I actually heard someone say, well, I don't think it's my responsibility mm-hmm. when I'm a bureau 
to tell someone where to set their compliance program or what risk factors they're willing to take for uh, profit and loss. The issue is what happens if you get caught. The first place to look of why that mistake happened was to go look at your compliance program, (laughs) for sure. So in some recent comments, Director Chopra talked about concentrating on more non-bank financial organizations that they deemed presented some additional consumer risk. Are there certain areas within consumer finance that really should be taking heed? I know some folks, we, we were just talking a little bit ago about the cyber security. I think some folks are talking crypto and all of these. There's so much out there. You have any thoughts on that? So my sense is anything which can sneak up on you uh, with lightning speed. And what I mean is, for example, buy now, pay later uh, has been around a a substantial period of time. I'm not saying decades, but I would say a little about a decade or longer. And it, it was doing well. Their pace was good. and You could make good living. Uh, working at a uh, buy now, pay later uh, enterprise. Uh, But then during the pandemic, they caught fire. Yes. And it was really interesting that people who, you know, know the market, knew about BNPL, but never thought of them as players. They really catapulted into what I would consider to be the driver's seat of so many different aspects of the market, uh, you know, uh, you know, low credit and poor credit and thin file people, uh, people of a certain age, etc. Et, et and I think ultimately what you have with uh, fintech is because of their size and because of the services that they're that they get involved with that their growth can all of a sudden go from you know, zero or close to zero uh, to you know, numbers that are just too hard to calculate right. and do it seemingly overnight. My sense is that's the thing that he's incredibly worried about. And so when, you know, again, you, you, you spoke to crypto, yeah, crypto is probably nothing that he's worried about at this particular point and doesn't really need, a, I would say, a CFPA uh, type of uh, deep dive into their consumer program. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, my sense is as crypto becomes the basis of potential um, changes in our payment system, then that means it'll catch fire that mm-hmm. quickly. And if you are the company and or if you are the CFPB, I don't think that you, that's the first time you want to think about compliance uh, as to that particular market. So that those are the types of things. And that is those markets which can grow almost overnight and do harm and very bad or distinct harm to consumers very quickly. All right. So um, another change, and I think this is kind of going into that that um, some of the space that we spoke about earlier was um, with regards to um, uh, updated procedural rules that provide the bureau with the authority to carry out enforcement actions in house. Can you talk a little bit about that? What that means to folks? Um, because I, th- there's been a couple of questions where folks are not cl- quite sure where they're going with this. I mean, so. 
Look, I mean, ultimately the issue is it, when the CFPB and uh, a consumer company uh, are, reach impasse and they need to resolve an issue, then the two choices, or I guess the third choice is to give up and not do anything. But uh, the first choice is to take them to the U.S. District Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, th- that process seems like it could take a long time, uh, you know, because you have to get into the regular queue. Uh, you get assigned a judge. You have to go through the phases of civil um, you know, trial. That includes you know, discovery. Uh, and after discovery, uh, you know, pretrial, then trial. And then if anyone is dissatisfied with the outcome of, of what happened in district court, then you can take it to appeal uh, to, to one of the circuits or the appropriate circuit. The issue in administrative is it's pretty quick. Uh, you still have someone that's neutral. Uh, and that person, you know, the ALJ makes a decision. And if a party is not satisfied with the outcome, then that person can appeal it first to the judge, I mean, to the, uh, the, yeah, to the director. And then after the director, then they can also go to the circuit, uh, you know, to the court of appeals mm-hmm. and appeal the matter. I think, you know, what, 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 what most people may be concerned with is, Given the way that the rules function administratively, there are opportunities for the director to take liberty with certain aspects of of the matter while it's pending. Uh, And that's like, okay, that would be pretty tough for some type of company, especially if they have investors uh, and they have a limited uh, amount of uh, of capital to be able to fund litigation forever, right. you know, all of a sudden take it on the chin pretty quickly in the process. And then afterwards, you know, then finish, uh, you know, the process and end up then for the first time, say, going to the D.C. circuit, the third circuit or fourth circuit or whichever circuit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, courts of appeals are not known for, uh, you know, very quick dispositions as well. I mean, you know, they vary. It clearly has a lot to do with the issue that's being appealed. But I, I, I can see one of those matters uh, probably drawing out for a certain period of time. In a lot of those cases, I would say the assumption or the presumption is the CFPB would have already prevailed in what it wanted to do at an earlier phase in district court. Okay, thank you. So um, I want to do a little bit of a shift because there was a question that came in with regards to um, some of the states and some of the states act like they're little mini CFPBs. <laughs> so um, based on some of the changes that are happening within the CFPB, have you seen any evidence that states are um, how they're going to interpret UDAP? Are they going to make any changes? Are there, I feel like in some instances, they're already a little bit stricter than the federal. <laughs> but Look, it it really depends. There are some states, uh, you know, like California, which uh, restructured its California Department of Business Oversight, the, you know, the DBO. Yeah. And the DFI. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Financial. Yeah. Protection. Something. Yeah. And, and I, the people are still the same there, but I would say they, they, they created some chartering differences uh, in terms of, you know, what they would pursue uh, the type of enterprises that do business in the state that they want to see either registered or licensed uh, activities that are designed to get people who aren't licensed or registered uh, registered. Um, I, I see that level of activity um, in terms of how they interpret it, how they interpret UDAP. Remember one or two things. Number one, uh, under the Dodd-Frank or the Consumer Financial Protection Act, it already is the case that a state uh, attorney general, after they give notice to the CFPB, can file a suit against an enterprise that's working within its borders and, per- and pursue them with any of the provisions of, of you know, UDAP. Or, or other aspects of rules and regulations uh, that the CFPB has. So it's mm-hmm. not necessarily unusual to see a, a, a state have a UDAP case. That happened recently with, I think, MoneyGram. I think the New York DFS or the New York AG mm-hmm. with the CFPB. Uh, yes, I think that that was mentioned in the supervisory note um, update. Right. And given that, you can see that some actors might find it very comforting to hide behind the CFPB okay. uh, as opposed to going it alone because there's some, you know, there's some resource savings. Um, but yes, there are going to be some states that are going to be, uh, you know, uh, pro UDAP in the sense that they think that the best way to address consumer challenges in their jurisdiction is to be uh, incredibly aggressive with the law enforcement. And there's some places who find that that's not necessarily the right way to, to address a problem. And the notion of scaring business off, uh, you know, has its own ramifications and, and they may not uh, you know, look at UDAP and agree with the CFPB's enunciation about what the uh, what what the law is and what the laws uh, you know address. Okay, great. So, um, back in 2019, you co-authored an article titled "Compliance in a UDAP Risk Environment." And that talked about how a strong compliance management system is critical to any financial institution, especially as it relates to UDAP. Could you talk a little bit about that and why a strong compliance management system is so critical for organizations to get out ahead of risk? And also, that article was written prior to the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. So given that the impact of the pandemic, um, what it's had on compliance. Is there anything that you would add to that article um, and new learnings and best practices? Um, so the, the the first piece is it really was just general taking my perspective of compliance 
and compliance management and how you can address a lot of potential problems later by really looking at the compliance formulas first, you know, because compliance really is about addressing risk. Uh, and a lot of risk in consumer compliance programs are, I would say, known risk, you know, like follow the complaints, treat complaints very quickly. You know, those, those things are incredibly uh, laid out in front of you. They're easy to monitor. I think they're easy to pick out, et cetera. The pandemic, eh, you know, it, it, if I could rewrite that again, I'm not too sure I could rewrite it again because ultimately, you know, the, the companies that were cited for potential uh, violations uh, it came out in the supervisory highlights uh, pri- prioritized assessments edition, which was winter of 2021 in January. Supervisory mm-hmm. highlights that came out. When that came out, I, I, I found what they did was they gave a list of potential, uh, you know, steps and uh, transactions that would feel very ordinary. Because remember, at that particular time, we had people who were uh, being kept at home. Right. We had uh, people who didn't know if they were ever going to go back to the workplace. Uh, you had uh, states were closed, and therefore you had limited funds available in people's bank accounts to pay their bills, their mortgages, their credit cards, their uh, you know the, the automobile, everything. Everything. And then the critical issue became. Well, what would happen if we just froze the payments and said, hey, we're not going to give you a pay vacation, but what we're going to say is you don't have to pay while we temporarily stop the clock. Well, the critical issue is, right, so I may get January, February, and March off, but when I start up again in April, what am I going to do? Am I going to ask for all three of those payments? Or and I just take those three payments and move them at the end of the month. I mean, the end of the particular product. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of questions about that. How do you disclose that to a consumer? How do you disclose what the APR is? How do you, you know, disclose if there is, for example, a uh, you know a, a challenge or dispute resolution which has very strict timelines in, in which you're supposed to conduct your investigation. You're supposed to tell your consumer what the outcome of the investigation is. You're supposed to provide uh, temporary credit if you can't get the, uh, the, the dispute investigated and resolved. Uh, investigation result, you know, typically or can sometimes uh, involve reaching out to a third party. Right. Guess what? People couldn't make those timelines. And the reason why they couldn't make those timelines is because I'm working from home. It doesn't make sense that Bank of Alexis also has people who aren't working at at, at the office place and may not have access to some of the, uh, you know, some of the files and some of those systems, you know, from a home computer. And, you know, it really caused, I would say, the incredible number of hypotheticals to come true. And, you know, to capture that in an article, which I felt was more practical advice as opposed to, uh, 
once in a lifetime advice. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't regret not addressing any of those issues in, in the you know during the pandemic. Super. Thank you so much. So um, as we're going to be, looks like we're almost hitting an hour. So um, as we're concluding today's webinar, Tony, can you share what um, you would take um, as the, maybe the top takeaways from this? What would you like to share with folks that you'd like them to really have take away from this and really take under consideration as they're going back to their workspaces? Yeah. Number one, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that there was a scene in the movie Platoon and which they're going out in ambush and the sergeant said, no matter what, when you get lost, don't shout out. Well, it made serious. You don't want to raise your voice and, and let the enemy know where you were. <laughs> you are in this particular environment. You need to shout out. Shout out. <laughs> Time to shout Right, because you need to speak to your supervisors. You need to speak to people that can help you who've had the experience. Then you need to also be able to speak out to outside consultants, you know, like perform woman or in, in my case, you know, specific firms. And believe me, it doesn't mean that automatically you're on the clock. I'm going to get billed for it, et cetera. My sense is, you know, have a, a core group of people who you trust who are generally right, who can either point you to the right answer or the person that can be the right answer, uh, or uh, otherwise provide access to resources. I, I think that that's critical. Uh, the other aspect that I think is critical is, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's overly, uh, you know, harmful to be somewhat uh, envious of your competitors. And if it works for them, then find out why it works. You can find someone there and, and ask. You know, and The issue might be because they have unlimited resources or the issue might be they have unlimited money or the issue might be is they're making their internal investigations in the right place. They have yeah. a sharp team. They have a sharp compliance team. They have an audit team that looks at everything and has a regular audit schedule. They have a good risk team. My sense is really dig in and find out what the answers to those questions are. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Comply Podcast. We hope you enjoyed part two of the conversation had between Rhonda and Tony around UDAP compliance under CFPB Director Chopra. For additional insights into all things marketing compliance, you can head to content.performline.com. And be sure to check out the links and resources in today's show notes. As always, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.